So if you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter five. We're going to be looking uh, back at that sermon, Jesus Sermon on the Mount. And of course, that encompasses a few chapters there. But for us, for this morning, we're going to Matthew chapter five and we're going to go to verse eight. And I want to invite you to put your finger there uh, because we're going to come back to that real soon. So go to Matthew chapter five, looking at verse eight. But before we read that, I, I want to begin by making a statement or really uh, kind of like a topical, share with you a topical sentence, so to speak, you know, that will have everything to do with what it is that I'm saying this morning or sharing with you this morning. And the first thing is this that I want to say, that purity is not innocence. Purity is the result of a continual relationship with your father in heaven. Let me say that again. Purity is not innocence, but purity is the result of a continual relationship with your father in heaven. Remember that. Now, you remember last week we were asking the big question, you I mean, what difference does Easter make? I mean, in this culture, in the context in which we live and we are blessed, we agreed on that last Sunday, we are blessed. And so when we say Easter, what difference does Easter make? We decided that that the response is or the answer to the question is that it gives us a spiritual vision. And last Sunday, it was the spiritual vision of the kingdom of God. How many remember that? Raise your hand real high. I just want to see if anybody was listening at all. So last Sunday is that Easter gives us a spiritual vision of the kingdom of God. So this Sunday, then Easter gives us a spiritual vision of purity. A spiritual vision of purity. In fact, go to Matthew chapter 5, looking at verse 8, and we're going to look at that together this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today, and I thank you for, Lord, just uh, <clears throat> just speaking to us. And there's some that's come here in the sanctuary this morning, and and they are they are seeking, and... Lord, some might want to be filled and, and gain maybe new insight and knowledge from the word. Um, some are coming here today possibly with something that is maybe missing in life. And, and, and maybe there is just a part of them, a small part, that is hoping that they'll find that what is missing in life. But, Father, in all of it and all the reasons that we come together, we have come together in your name. And, Lord, we want to glorify you with our life, and we want to lift you up in everything that we do. And, Lord, we want to respond to this that you've challenged us with by your word and your sermon, that, that we would have a, a pure heart. And I pray for, Lord, our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that, that you would speak to that one heart that is black or that heart that is hardened this morning. I, I pray for the heart right now that is maybe breaking and they're hurting because of something that has happened to them or a relationship they've lost. I, I pray, Father in heaven, that we would understand what it means to have a pure heart. You, you've challenged us in this and we want to respond to you, God. And so, Father, I pray that uh, you just speak to our hearts and that we might glorify you in everything that we think and, and say today. So, Lord, we just worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, Amen. So looking back at our text again, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Remember that the one that is saying this is, is the perfect God-man who never sinned. And yet we see the narrative unfold. I mean, he, he suffers horribly at the hands of man. We understand that. And, and the irony of Palm Sunday is not lost on us. I mean, here is the Savior that rides in on a donkey, and he's praised as King and Savior. And, and, then, and then there is the shift that happens from this Palm Sunday 
in a very short week where all of a sudden there's there's the motion of mankind that kind of kicks in. And those that were worshiping him and logging him as Messiah and king, all of a sudden they shift all of that. And then they are screaming just a few days later, they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, I find myself wondering as I, I'm thinking about today, I mean, Palm Sunday, you know, what is the constant that we have? What is the truth? You know, that thread of truth that we can say, OK, there there is the constant that we we can focus on. And what we have when we look at the passage and we look at Palm Sunday, the constant is Jesus Christ. I mean, just as in the Old Testament, we have we have the example of who God was. And, and in spite of all the kings that were some were good and some were bad and the whoop and the wharf and the up and down of the history of God's chosen people, there is the constant that God will not give up on his people. Amen. And so we see that here this morning as we we think about Palm Sunday is is the fact that the constant for us believers is Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ. Yes, he would be crucified. He'd be like a, a lamb or sheep as unto slaughter. And we see that happen. But of course, there is the resurrection that we'll celebrate. No, next Sunday morning. But in, fi- in spite of all of that, we find the truth about Jesus Christ in Revelation. Revelation describes him as the lamb at the center of the throne. The lamb that is at the center of the throne that will be the shepherd of all of his people and the, that we are his people that he is shepherding. We we read in another place in Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter's response was, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So if the difference that Easter makes is that it gives us a spiritual vision, then we must ask the question, What spiritual vision did the disciples have? I mean, what was the disciples vision in regards to life and ministry? I mean, how would they live their faith out in Jesus Christ in their life? And how would it work? I mean, how what would it look like if if they are to live their faith out for Jesus in the day in and the day out in the tediousness of reality in everyday life? What would it look like if their spiritual faith became real in their lives? Well, we we notice that they would they would probably say that that part of suffering for their faith, part of suffering would be following in the footsteps of Christ. So that as we have faith in Jesus Christ, there might be times that that our faith is tested, that our faith is tried. And so they would probably agree to the fact that part of our faith or part of our suffering because of our faith is following in the steps of Christ, which is really building character. And that that's an important component this morning as we think about what does it look like if we live our faith out in the day to day life of everyday living? It's going to affect our character. Amen. How many agree with that, that our faith in Jesus Christ, if we live it out, it's really going to affect our character. Raise your hand for just a moment. It's really going to touch us that way. Our character largely depends on our spiritual vision. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sermon, I should say, uh, gives us a spiritual vision of what? A spiritual vision of personal purity, because Jesus says here in the sermon, he says, blessed, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall what? They shall see God. 
So blessed are the pure in heart. So he kind of gives us the standard or this understanding that part of spiritual character is that we have a, a pure heart. In fact, in all indications of Jesus sermon is knowing that we must grow in personal purity. We must grow in spiritual personal purity. Because why? Because is building character in us. And as character is built up, then the result of that character is that we have a pure heart. Amen. And those that have a pure heart, they do what? Those that have a pure heart shall see God. Amen. So how, how do we break this down? Look at for look at the passage for just a moment. First off, I, I'd want to say that that God makes us pure by his grace. Anybody agree with that this morning? God makes us pure by his grace. We know in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for it is by grace. This is not of ourselves. For it is by grace. This is not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God that we have everlasting life. And so we recognize that the very component of having faith, that that faith is something that God gives us. So that we might be purified. So Jesus Christ, we're saying that Jesus Christ purifies us. So we know that we are made pure by the grace of God. It's nothing that we do, nothing that we can earn, nothing that we can deserve by our our behavior or our action. Because we are made pure by the grace of God. Amen. But then the second thing I would say is that God leaves some responsibility on us for our personal purity. Let me explain it like this. One guy translates this truth in biblical terms by speaking about our inner sanctuary versus our our outer courts. He says that our inner sanctuary is the place where the grace of God comes in. It's in the inner sanctuary that God washes us and makes us clean as the white driven snow. I mean, it's in that inner sanctuary that we enjoy the presence of the Lord. It's it's the outer sanctuary or it's the outer courts that sometimes that we become stained. It's in the outer courts that sometimes there there are things that become a part of our life that kind of work as kind of work as a wedge between us and our father in heaven. It's in the outer courts that sometimes the enemy works and there is this selfishness or there there is this something that is in our life that gets in between us and sometimes even our relationship with other people because we're not giving attention to the outer court. It's in the inner sanctuary that that the the Lord comes in and he purifies us and he forgives us of sin and we rejoice in that. It's in the inner sanctuary that we come in and we enjoy worship with the worship team and and we enjoy reading the word of God. And we can say, excuse me, we can say that we even know God in the inner sanctuary. But sometimes, friends, it's in the outer courts. It's in those outer courts that that there is something that is working in our life that is getting between us and our relationship with the father. And the enemy loves for that to happen in, in life. He would love for you to allow something to get between you and your relationship with your father in heaven. I, I will never forget the hard uh, responsibility that I had to share something with my wife. And, and I'm not going to say, <laughs> and I know your minds will go like this, but some years ago I... I needed to share something with my wife. And and the reason why is because I knew that before I could make sure that my relationship with my my God, with God, was right, I need to make sure my relationship with my wife was right. And I am so blessed to have a beautiful, gracious, loving, forgiving wife. And I shared with her, and it probably was not as big a deal to her as it was to me, because it was a really big deal to me, and she received it with grace and love and forgiveness. 
And I love her for that. But you see, I, I, I realized that until I made that right, I could not make sure that this was right. And you see, to get this right, I had to make sure that was right. And I don't know what the Lord is doing in your life right now or is what he's trying to work out. But before we can make sure that this is right, sometimes we have to make sure this is right. And we have to be obedient to that little still voice in our head that is trying to give us guidance as we are listening for the voice of the Lord. You see, it's in the inner sanctuary that we come and we revel in the presence of God and we read the word and we, we, are, we are Christian in that part and in that way. But it's in the outer courts that sometimes that God gives us responsibility that we need to take care of business. And I propose if there's anything getting between us and God that we set everything down, we set it all aside and we take care of the business of making sure our relationship with God is right. Amen. And then we deal with that. We deal with that, those outer courts. Then God will begin to work in our life in a way that you could never dream. I'm remembering Jesus in the darkest hours. I'm remembering Jesus this morning in the Garden Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if I were Jesus and I were in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if I was carrying the weight of the sin of all of mankind upon my shoulders. And if I was experiencing a sorrow that was so deep in my heart, it was as if I was going to die. I'm trying to imagine that. I'm trying to imagine what that night night must have been like for Jesus. And maybe the wind was blowing and, and maybe possibly it's a stormy night and the sky was overcast and there was no moon and there was no light. But it was just a time when he was in this deep, dark valley. And in that deep, dark valley, the weight of the world was upon his shoulders. And there was probably some feelings of uncertainty and maybe some distractions that was trying to keep him from what God's plan was for his life. I'm wondering what it'd be like that night if I was there. I'll never forget a night almost just like that. My wife and I were moving from uh, Twin Falls, Idaho to Clarksville, Tennessee, to take a, a new assignment as pastors. We'd been in, in Twin Falls for about four years, and God was calling us to Tennessee to pastor uh, Clarksville Church of the Nazarene. And uh, our kids were little at that time, and so the kids were asleep. Two of our kids were asleep on the, the floor of the U-Haul that we rented. Uh, I think uh, maybe a child was up here between us, and there was a dog to boot, some kind of dog we had at the time. And, and so we were in this U-Haul. I'm talking about, guys, the largest U-Haul you can rent, okay? The big one. And we had this U-Haul filled absolutely to the brim. And behind the U-Haul, we had a trailer. And it was the kind of trailer that you drove your car up on, not the kind that you just set the front wheels on, but all four tires. We drove up on this trailer, and the trailer was then hooked to the back or hitched to the back of this this biggest U-Haul truck that you could rent. And so this trailer's hooked to the U-Haul truck, and we're in this U-Haul truck, and we had driven across country, and we were coming into a place that we had never drove through before called Memphis, Tennessee. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Memphis, Tennessee, but, but uh, the off-ramps in Memphis, Tennessee are nothing like the off-ramps here in the West. 
Here in the West, I'm used to uh, off-ramps that are like a mile long, and you have plenty of time to slow down. And, and there in Memphis, Tennessee, the off-ramps are nothing like that. In fact, this particular off-ramp is only about 200 feet long, and then after 200 feet, there is this this... This right turn, I mean, there's an elbow in the road with a right turn. At the end of the 200 feet, there is this gigantic sign with chevrons on the sign. I mean, this sign is huge, about big as a car, at the end of this off-ramp. And I'll never forget that night. We'd been driving all day, probably for about 12 hours. And that night, it was raining. It was so dark at night. There was no moon because the sky was overcast. And, and I'll never forget how dark it was. It was so dark, it was like... You know, you couldn't tell between the road and the ground because everything was black and there was no light at all. And we're driving down the freeway about 65, 75 miles an hour. And so we decided we probably need to stop and get some rest, maybe spend the night before we arrive in our new town the next morning. And so, you know, going about 65, 70 miles an hour, my wife and I, the kids asleep in the floor, the dog in the floor, the kid up here. We turn off the freeway there in Memphis, Tennessee, and we turn off on that that ramp that is only about 200 feet long. And I'm going 65 miles an hour in the biggest U-Haul truck you can rent. (laughs) And we take that ramp in the first few moments as I notice there in the distance. Remember, it was dark and it was raining. The roads were black and the ground was black and the sky was black and the vision with the, the vision was not very good. And so as we come to the end of this this off ramp, I notice the Chevron sign. And so I do what is natural. I put on my brakes and I know better than to just, you know, slam on the brakes and hold them. So you slide all cockeyed. But what I did is I began to pump the brakes as hard as I could. And within a few moments, I realized that these brakes were not going to stop all the weight in that truck, the car that's pushing that truck forward, all of that weight that was headed down that off-ramp. I realized that there was nothing that I was going to be able to do to stop that truck. And so within a split second, I made a decision, and I just yelled to the family, Hang on! And folks, we, we, we slammed into that Chevron sign. <laughs> And I don't know what kind of technology they had going there, but we slammed in that Chevron sign and it burst into a thousand pieces. And I didn't know whether there was a cliff on the other side of that sign. I didn't know if there was a river on the other side of that sign or a pond. I didn't know what was on the other side of that sign. Maybe there was a, a cement wall, but what was on the other side of that sign was a gentle sloping grass berm. And so we blew through that sign, shattered in a thousand pieces, and there I am going down this grass berm, and I realize as we get to the bottom, I better give it some gas, and so I pushed the gas pedal down and, and just smoothly pulled out of the ditch, going about 60 miles an hour, pulled to the side of the road, there was a gas station, pulled into the gas station, and sat there hanging on to the steering wheel going like this. And we're looking at each other. I thought for sure that the front of the truck was going to be destroyed. Well, I get out and I walk around and I look at the front of the truck. And folks, there's not a scratch on that truck. Not a scratch. In that split second, in the midst of the rain and the darkness and the fear and the uncertainty, I had no idea what the outcome was going to be like. Sometimes life is exactly like that. 
It's like a night in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, that the, the future is uncertain and the road is dark and the winds are blowing and the rain is coming down and you're completely uncertain what the future holds. But ladies and gentlemen, what this Holy Week is about is that we know who holds the future. And that one that holds the future is Jesus Christ. And we have agreed that we're going to lift Jesus Christ up this week. Amen. And the way that we lift up Jesus Christ is we simply say to Jesus, I choose you. I choose you. I had a precious lady and I asked her permission if I could repeat her phrase. I won't say her name. But after the service last or this morning, the first service, she came to me and she was crying and we prayed. And the phrase that she used, what she said is she said, I, I can't choose Jesus. And I, I, I kind of I can't choose Jesus. And then she burst out crying some more. And she says, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And maybe. It, it, it shouldn't be as mechanical as, okay, I choose Jesus. But maybe it should be as authentic and real as I, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Oh, boy. I need Jesus. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know how dark the road is. And maybe it is dark and stormy and, and your future is uncertain. But, man, I know this, that Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen. I, I was uh, doing my hot tub ministry last night. We live in an apartment complex. And, and I, I've, I've shared with Paul some of my experiences. And Pastor Paul says, oh, you have a hot tub ministry. I said, I like that. <laughs> my wife and I were there last night, about 20-man type of hot tub. And there's two, two 28-year-old men, probably 30-year-old men, and two women. And... And, and we're over here by ourselves being quiet. And then they start talking across the way there. They start talking about space and they're talking about string theory and they're talking about, you know, creation and, and you know, how it happened and all this. And, and I could tell from their conversation that they're completely unchurched. And so I could not help myself. <laughs> and so I go over and as soon as I start moving to barge in on this strange, these strangers' conversation, my wife gets up and leaves. <laughs> so you can't say anything. You don't know what I said. <laughs> so I, I sincerely, sincerely, I, I go over there, wait over there, and in the hot tub. And I said, let me, can I ask you guys a question here? You're talking about a lot of really interesting stuff. And they said, well, yeah, yeah, they're very open. I said, um, my question for you tonight is, if you were to die, where would you spend eternity? You know, I mean, they, they were just, you know, befuddled. And, and then they asked a question, another question, and I got to, I got to tell my story. <laughs> and we talked about God, how God is the creator of the concept of time and space, and he's outside of that. Talk about other interesting scientific things. But ultimately what I got to share with them. That the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus Christ. And I had this opportunity to lift Christ up. And I give God the glory for that. 
The answer is Jesus Christ. We're agreeing that we're going to lift Christ up this week. Amen? Um, at this point, we like to just take a few minutes to worship, to reflect on what, what, what word it is that we've received and what it is that maybe the Lord is speaking to us about. So today, it is maybe a time for us to lift Jesus Christ up. We're agreeing that that's what this week is about. We're agreeing as a congregation that we're going to lift Christ up. Amen? Let's lift Christ up. And maybe that needs to happen in your heart, in your mind this morning, that you need to lift Christ up. I mean, you're feeling that the Lord is speaking to you. Or maybe you're, you're hearing that small, still voice that is saying, I love you. I want relationship with you. That's God speaking to you. And you're saying, I choose you, God. I need you, Jesus. No, I need you, Jesus. Respond to him today. I want to invite our service to come forward this morning as you come here and uh, prepare yourself. And so if you're a guest with us, we have the bread here that represents the body of Christ, which was broken for you. Presumably blame us unto everlasting life. You will take this and receive it because Christ's body was broken for you. This is gluten-free bread, so all can participate. All can recognize that Jesus gave himself up for you. And so you can respond that way or you can come over here and light a candle and Bring a prayer. Just say a prayer to the Lord or write a prayer request down over here and there will be some people nearby. So let us just worship. Let's respond. Let's worship while we're responding. And maybe we're saying today, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Would you come and respond as we worship? Just as the Holy Spirit leads you, whenever you feel it's the right time, you're invited to respond right now.